So tonight, getting into our passage, we are finishing up the narrative section of Daniel. Finishing up chapter 6, moving into 7, the book of Daniel. How many guys have read the whole book? Daniel, after chapter 6, gets odd. It gets a little bit more apocalyptic. We get into some visions and things, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun to get into in the next coming, the coming weeks. But tonight, we close out the really familiar narrative section of the first half of this book. We spent the last several months looking at this developing story of this young, exiled Jewish noble, this young man of noble birth that was, has been living in captivity and somehow has been finding a way to thrive in captivity, to thrive as an exile. The question, the theme that we've been looking at this whole time is how do we live as faithful disciples of Jesus in exile? I realize the entire premise of that, the entire premise of being faithful in exiles assumes that your lived experience is one of not feeling at home of not feeling um, one with the society around us. Some of you may not feel that way. But that is ultimately, I think, the call of every disciple of Jesus to live as aliens and strangers, foreigners in the land. Tonight we're finishing up with the story of Daniel and the lion's den. As I said last week, if you've grown up in the church or if you've had any experience in the church, you're probably familiar with this story. Most of us have heard this story. It's one of the staples in most of your children's Bibles. It's one of the things that we read to them regularly. It's captivated the imagination for kids and adults alike for generations for a very long time. I was thinking about it. For some reason, we are attracted to stories with animals in it. Think about it. Noah and the ark, Jonah and the fish. We even insert animals into stories that they're not there, like Mary riding a donkey. It's not there. Or the, all the animals in, in the stable. We even insert animals to make it more appealing. Or this one, Daniel and the lions. We like stories with animals. This is more than a kid's story. This is more than just something for the kids uh, before they go to bed. Uh, there is a lot going on here, and I think there's a lot that we can learn from from this story. So last week, we looked at the setup to the conflict. We looked at what was uh, developing that ultimately led Daniel to be thrown into this lion's den. But if you weren't here last week, let's catch you up a little bit. Chapter 6 introduced to us an entirely new empire. Babylon has fallen. The Medo-Persian Empire has risen. Darius is now ruling, or there's different interpretations of who is exactly 
ruling over the Persian Empire, or at least over Babylon, and he sets up this system of delegated authority, puts 120 satraps over the region, and then three leaders over that, and then ultimately him. Daniel is one of those three, and Darius likes him. Darius likes him a lot because Daniel's faithful. The scripture says that Daniel was distinguished above above all the other high officials because an excellent spirit was in him. Darius likes him so much that he intends to promote him over all of the kingdom. Intends to actually elevate him over all the leaders. Think about this for a second. Daniel has gone from an exiled um, noble to a land that's not his own. He's been forced into an education in a system and a worldview that is not his own. He's been in captivity for his entire life. Multiple kings have raised up and fallen down. Daniel's probably in his 70s. He's seen kings and leaders come and go, and now he's seen the transition of empires. And again and again, we see Daniel elevated to a significant position of authority. And out all of these different kingdoms and rulers and situations, Daniel has been elevated. But as, as is typical in politics, nothing is new, the others did not like that Daniel was being elevated. They didn't like the situation. They didn't like what's happened. So they set a trap. They try to trap Daniel. They get Darius to write a law forbidding anyone to pray to any god or any person except himself for 30 days. Sounds a little, I mean, they they essentially trick Darius into saying he's a god for 30 days. Who wouldn't want to say that, right? They did this because they knew the only way they could trap Daniel, the only way they could get Daniel out of their way is if they could find something to do with his total and complete allegiance to Yahweh. If they could get him tripped up on his worship or his prayer or his allegiance to Yahweh, they could get him. And it worked. Darius writes the law. No one can pray to anyone except for him for 30 days. And verse, I think it's verse 10 says that after Daniel knew the law was signed, he did exactly what he had always done. He opens his second story window and does the same thing that he had done for years and years and years. He gets on his knees and he prays towards Jerusalem. Why does he pray this way? We looked at this a little bit last week. There's no Old Testament law explicitly saying he has to pray 
in this fashion with the window open for everyone to see. He had options. He could have hidden. He could have prayed behind closed windows, drawn the curtain, or gone to an inner room and hidden. But he had a long-established habit of praying this way. He had probably, as an older man, been praying this way since his youth. And he prayed towards Jerusalem because it is from there that he had hoped and longed for the coming Messiah. He had a well-established, worn rhythm of prayer. That's what we looked at last week. Prayer and hope, longing, trust, and faith that Yahweh would deliver, that God would come through and rescue them from exile. So the trap works. Daniel's caught. They think they've got him. Now what's fascinating to me as we get into the second half of this passage is that Darius is so distraught about all this. The king is kind of a mess. Verse 14. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel. He labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Darius was frantically looking for a way to rescue Daniel. He clearly did not want to send Daniel to the lion's den. He clearly either liked Daniel, Daniel so much that he didn't want to do it, or possibly he had heard the stories, the legends of Yahweh coming to Daniel's defense and to these Jewish boys' defense. Is it possible that he'd heard the story of King Nebuchadnezzar being humbled to become like an animal? There's an animal story we don't talk about that much. And living in the wild. Is it possible that he heard the story of the fourth man in that fiery furnace? Or of the writing on the wall? He heard, don't mess with Daniel's God. Whatever it was, he looked all day for a way to get out of this. He tried. He put all his effort into figuring out a way to get Daniel out of this. Only to be reminded by the other politicians that the law cannot be changed. Nothing has changed here. People, people will always and it will still be more concerned with their policies and procedures and politics than people. They'll always be more concerned with the law than the effect of that law on actual people. You guys, this is what, side note here, this is what a political spirit, this is what it will lead, lead to. You're more concerned about your position or your opinion than the effects that it has on actual real people. It will always divide. The way of Jesus is not like that. The way of Jesus always look, looks for the highest good of those around us. So Darius has no options. He's out of options. He gives the order for Daniel to be taken to the den of lions. Verse 16, the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast 
into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. As he's being thrown into the den of lions, the king seems to have either some faith or some trust or some hope. Daniel, I hope your God saves you. I hope he's able. Some commentators say this is probably just a statement of desire. This is what I want. I want God to save you. Or hope or longing. I'm not sure I would call it faith necessarily because we see how he spends his night, the rest of the night. It's not really faithful. But there definitely is a glimmer of hope here. There's some, some sense of longing that God would show up, that the stories that he's heard of Yahweh coming and defending his people would be true. It's like he's saying, okay, Daniel, I've heard the stories. I've heard the tales of your God showing up. You serve him continually. You're faithful. You choose relentlessly to seek him in prayer. Hopefully he is all that you say he is. Hopefully he can do all that you say he can do. Hopefully, all the stories I've heard are true. And that's our question for us is, does your prayer life, does your discipleship challenge that kind of hope in your friends and family around you? Does the way that you live for Jesus provoke that kind of a, if, if your God is all that you say he is, I hope that comes true for you. I hope that works. When you're in need, when something's not going right in your life, do your friends and neighbors see you surrendering to Jesus? Or do they see you fighting to fix it your own way? Verse 17. The stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent, his night, spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought before him, and slept fled from him. It's always fascinating to me in the children's stories and, and even the way this this passage typically gets taught, a lot of focus gets spent on what Daniel did in that lion's den. We have pictures of Daniel praying and Daniel hanging out with the lions. There's all these different things. The scripture says nothing about any of that. We don't know what happened in that lion's den. But what we do know is that Darius did not have a good night. What we are told is that it's a rough night for Darius. He's up all night. He can't eat. He didn't want any entertainment. He didn't want to be distracted. He's in turmoil. We don't know what's going on with Daniel. 
but we do know it's not so happy for Darius. Could it be that we don't know what's going on with Daniel because it hasn't, he has nothing to do with his salvation? We're not told that he did anything except trust. He has no effort for his own salvation, his own rescue. It has to be God. So in the morning, verse 19, then at daybreak, the king arose and went with haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the den of lions, from the lions? He's up all night. He's tormented with the possibilities, with the ultimately, the, I think in his mind, the inevitability of Daniel being feasted upon by these lions. Darius runs to the lion's den. It says that he cries with a tone of anguish. Daniel, has your God been able to deliver you? Is your God all that you say he is? Is he able? Again, my question I had earlier. Does your walk with Jesus have your neighbors on the edge of their seat to see if God is really able to do the things that you say he's able to do? Does your faith provoke that kind of curiosity from your neighbors, even from your enemies? Does it have people on the edge of their seat waiting to see God do something? Verse 21, our God is able. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth. They have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad, and he commanded that Daniel be taken out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Daniel, to the king's astonishment, replies from the den, he isn't dead. Essentially, he says, yes, my God is able. Yeah, he is able. My God sent an angel to shut the mouth of the lion's. One commentator, I thought this was kind of funny. One commentator said, interestingly, that maybe the lions were ruled by the lion of the tribe of Judah. That's a little bit of a funny stretch. He says that maybe the lion of the tribe of Judah showed up and the other lions were like, I'm not messing with that guy. Spurgeon says the reason maybe that the lions didn't eat Daniel was that he had, he was all backbone and gristle. Whatever happened, 
We're not told, except that an angel shut, an angel from the Lord shut the mouth of the lions. Now again, these stories are told in intentional parallels to the story in Daniel 3 with the three friends. There is an intentional parallel told of the three friends who, in that story, refused to bow their knees. And they ended up in the fiery furnace. In Daniel 3, they refused to bow. In Daniel 6, he refuses not to bow. In Daniel 3, they publicly refuse to compromise. In Daniel 6, Daniel publicly refuses to compromise. In Daniel 3, the king is angry with them. In Daniel 6, the king is, in dis- is distraught. In Daniel 3, they're thrown into the fiery furnace. In 6, it's a den of starved lions. In 3, there's a fourth man that appears in the fire. In 6, there's an angel from God who shuts the mouth of the lions. In 3, there's not a scent of the fire on them when they're taken out of the furnace. In 6, there is no harm to be found on him. They are very intentional parallels. You see the similarity there? These stories scream to us, and they scream to the original hearers, the followers of God throughout history, that our God is able. He is able. He is willing and able. His arm is not too short to save. He's alive. These are not just cute children's stories. We know that ultimately from what happens next. Verse 24. The king commanded... And those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. It's pretty harsh. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered and broke all their bones into pieces. That's not typically in your kid's Bible. It's not usually what you want to read to them before they go to bed. But it's the truth, and it's a very important part of the story. I think first it tells us, because a lot of people will say, well, Darius just had the lions really well fed. It's easy. He just fed the lions before Daniel went in there. The lions weren't hungry. Apparently they were. (laughs) Secondly, I think this prophetically foreshadows the reality, there's so much parallel in these stories. We don't have any, enough time, but there's so much parallel from this story, many of these stories in Daniel to Jesus. But this one, I think, also foreshadows the reality of God's ultimate rescue. Where some who turn and serve Jesus will be spared and others Matthew 25 says, Will depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I think there's a bit of a foreshadowing here. There's a, a picture of, of uh, ultimate judgment and rescue. 
And the story is, this is the story of all time, that God is on a rescue mission. He is after redeeming people, pulling them from this pit. And we have a God who is able to save. He is willing to bring about the rescue from the power of sin and death. And these testimonies of God's faithful rescue of his people are there to give us hope, to give hope to those in exile, that the God that we serve is faithful and he will accomplish what he says he will accomplish. It says, yeah, times are hard. You're in exile. Things aren't seeming to work out. Things aren't going your way. Society seems to be declining. Inflation's going up. Let's get real here. <laughs> real estate seems to be going up. Politicians are going crazy. There's pandemics, wars, rumors of wars, all sorts of conspiracies and things, theories, some of which are becoming not so far out anymore. And in the midst of all of that, we, as apprentices of Jesus, as disciples of Jesus, we serve a God who is able, who is willing and able, who is alive and active. Our God is able, and what these stories tell us is that doesn't necessarily mean that life will be out we, that life will be without its furnaces or its lion's dens. Life is going to have furnaces and lion's dens. We are promised there will be hard times. The persecution will come. But the truth is that if we stand firm like Daniel, we worship the true and living God, he'll be with us in that lion's pit. He'll be with us in that furnace. He's there. He doesn't leave us alone. It was true in Daniel's time, and it's true today. As governments are corrupt, and they do what, they, they do what governments have always done, they try to punish people or, or enact what they want to enact, followers of God stand firm and worship the true and living God. Worship Jesus and him in his infinite power and glory and might. He shows up just like he did in Daniel's life. And he shows up and meets you in your lion's den. He's there. This is the God who we serve. Listen to the rest of the story. Verse 25. Then Darius wrote to all the people, nations, language that dwell in the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall never end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. 
So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. And Daniel's, sorry, Darius's first decree, he said he was God. Worship me for 30 days. Now in this second degree, decree, he says Yahweh is God. Daniel's God is the true God. Ultimately, this is where the big picture comes into play. This is all going to lead to the exiles returning to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple and the Messiah coming. We know the Second Chronicles 32, 36, sorry, verse 22. I didn't get it on the screens, but if you have your Bible, Second Chronicles 36, verse 22, says, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has chain, uh, charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judea. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord, his God, be with him. Let him go up. AD, or sorry, BC 538, the first exiles begin to return to Jerusalem. The Lord knew what he was doing. He had a plan. He knew the big picture. We tend to not even think about the big picture. All we can see is the lions in front of us or the fire. The Lord knows the big picture. Daniel's faithfulness led to this decree, which possibly influenced ultimately their return back to Jerusalem. God sees the beginning from the end. He is sovereign. He knows what he's doing. He had a plan to bring them back into their land that the time of exile in Babylon was finished and that Messiah was going to come. Jesus was coming. To get there, this decree had to go out. It meant Darius needed to see that Daniel's God was who he said he was. It was more than just folk stories, more than hopes and dreams, but that he is able Daniel's courage, his unwavering dedication, his loyalty to Yahweh led to the whole kingdom hearing about God. Worship of Yahweh went from being forbidden to actually being encouraged. This is, think about what Darius decrees in this story. God is global. He says, all the people, nations, and language in all the earth. He's personal, the living God. He's eternal. He endures forever. He is king. That's a statement. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. He is good. He delivers and he rescues. 
He is transcendent and imminent. He works signs and wonders in the heavens and the earth. He is Savior. He's the God who saved Daniel. He didn't get him around it, but he met him in it and he got him through it. And that God is generous. Daniel prospered. Daniel actually did well. That's our God, you guys. When we live in a way that puts our faith on display, come what may, we shout to the world, our God is able. Come and see. He'll act on behalf of those who pray. The question that we have, what do we do with this? How does, how does this affect us this week? How do we live this out? My prayer for us is that we, like many generations before, that we would see these situations, we'd see the circumstances in front of us, we'd remember the testimony of God's faithfulness. Not just through Daniel, but the whole scripture is full of stories of God being faithful. That we would see that our present circumstances, whatever's going on in your life, God is bigger. His arm is not too short to save. And he is faithful. That we would not for one second compromise our faith in the light of our comfort. That we would put our faith and our discipleship on display so that a lost and hurting world would be waiting with bated breath to see God respond. To see the one true living God act on behalf of faithful prayer. He's alive and he's active, you guys. He is working in the world. He's not distant and removed. This is where we are. The Lord has put you here for a reason. He has you here for this time, this season, this place to be a faithful disciple, putting your faith on display for a community that is far from God to see it. He doesn't have you here alone. He puts you in a family, placed you in a church. You are not alone. You're not separate. You're not isolated. And he is with you. No matter what you're going through, no matter what circumstances are in front of you, he's there. He's with you. Let's pray. Worship team, come up. God, I thank you that over and over and over again throughout the scripture, stories of your faithfulness are recounted. God, that you are unmoved by the circumstances and the situations. You reign supreme. You are king of kings and lord of lords. God, I pray that you would help us to see that. 
that the circumstances in front of us would get smaller and smaller and you would get bigger and bigger, that you, we, would, we would magnify you in our lives. Father, help us to live as faithful witnesses, as bold witnesses that our God is able to do far more than we can ask or imagine, that he's alive and he's willing We love you, Jesus. Amen.